Foxes in the North, Beyond Barbarossa, Episode 10. Welcome to Beyond Barbarossa, the first English-language podcast in the world to focus on the Eastern Front of World War II. I'm Scott Burry. This is the delayed episode I promised three weeks ago. Part of the reason for that delay was that uh, this subject turned out to be a lot deeper, a lot more complicated, just a lot more than I thought it would be when I planned it. That is Operation Silver Fox. Germany's tenuous alliance with Finland and its operations in the far north, on the shores of the Arctic Ocean. On June 22, 1941, Germany launched the biggest land invasion in history, with simultaneous attacks along its long border with the USSR, from the Baltic Sea to the Black. At 3.15 a.m., cannons fired thousands of shells. Bombers struck targets far behind the border. As soon as the bombardment stopped, thousands of tanks and millions of men stormed across the border. And the army of Norway also crashed across the narrow border along the Arctic Ocean to seize the town of Pechenga in the Murmansk Oblast on the shores of the Barents Sea. This is a subject that doesn't get that much attention, even from historians who specialize in the Second World War in Eastern Europe. But a closer look helps explain some of the events going on on other parts of the Eastern Front and illuminates a lot about the many people and militaries involved in the wider Second World War. Most of all, the story of Operation Silver Fox supports the central goal of this whole podcast. It explodes more myths about the Eastern Front and the war. As I said, while at first glance, Silver Fox appears to be a real sideshow, a minor episode. A close look reveals a lot of really interesting stuff, a lot more than I anticipated. And that means it's going to take two full episodes to tell you this story. So let's get this fox hunt started. Operations in the far north were an integral part of the planning for Operation Barbarossa from the very beginning. They started planning in August 1940, one month after Nazi Führer Adolf Hitler made his final decision to invade the USSR. So previous episodes of this podcast have covered events from June to November 1941. This two-episode series is going to back up a little because this story spans that period. 
and it had a direct impact on the successes and failures of Germany and the USSR, not just in the north, but along the whole front. So let's fire up the old Wayback Machine. To help understand the connections between operations that were so far apart geographically, as I described the operations in the north, I'll also point out important developments in the war around the world in chronological order. The fact that you're listening to this podcast means you know that on June 22nd, 1941, Germany launched the greatest land invasion in history, with simultaneous attacks aimed toward Leningrad, Moscow, and Kiev. And on the same day, at the same time, in the far north, Army Corps Norway, to be clear, a German force consisting of the 2nd and 3rd Gebirgsjager, or Mountain Divisions, totaling 27,000 500 men under Lieutenant General Edouard Dietl seized the town of Pechenga on the Barents Sea coast and the nickel mines nearby. They met no opposition. Known in Finnish as Pitsamo, Pechenga was a town that the USSR had taken from Finland a year earlier in the Winter War. This was Operation Reindeer, the first of three phases in Operation Silver Fox. The ultimate goal was, with another German division farther south, and with Finnish forces, to take the Russian port of Murmansk, 100 kilometers or 60 miles farther east. So, why did the Germans want Petsamo? Why Murmansk? And why were the Finns involved? To answer these questions, we need to back up even more to 1939. Germany has already annexed Austria, taken over Czechoslovakia, and is pretty much controlling Hungary and Romania. It has signed the Pact of Steel alliance with Italy. At the end of August, Germany and the USSR signed the infamous non-aggression pact, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, that secretly divides Eastern Europe between them. A week after that, Germany launches the Blitzkrieg, a lightning conquest of half of Poland. And the USSR responds by taking the other half of Poland. Skip ahead to 1940. Germany quickly seizes Denmark and Norway and occupies them. Then it launches its Blitzkrieg again in France, defeating it in six weeks. After that begins the air war Battle of Britain. At this point, Hitler decided for sure that he was going to invade the Soviet Union due to his hatred of communism, his deep racism, and his pretend desire for living space for the German people. Also, the uh, failure, his failure, the Luftwaffe's failure of the air war over Britain, contributed to this decision. In Hitler's twisted logic, if he couldn't defeat Britain, he had to knock the USSR out and destroy it because Britain and the USSR would then gang up on him. Anyway, he decided that he had to take out the USSR and then devote everything to taking out the UK before the United States got involved. And so, as you know, as I said, the biggest invasion uh, from Poland to Romania began in 1941, as well as that narrow border in the far north where a sliver of occupied Norway touches 
the new border of the USSR. That border is contentious, which we'll get to. So now let's turn our attention to Finland, their reluctant ally. Hitler and the German high command wanted Finland to participate in its attack on the USSR and its destruction for several reasons. Let's back up even further. Wow, time travel can screw up your head. All right. Finland had been governed by the Russian Empire for over a century as the Grand Duchy of Finland, a semi-autonomous part of the empire. But there was always friction between the Finns and the imperial government in St. Petersburg. The Finns pursued things like universal suffrage by 1906, which the Russians really didn't like. The Romanovs were not fans of democracy. In 1917, the Russian Revolution changed the picture. By 1918, Finland emerged as an independent country, which the Bolsheviks in Russia recognized in January 1918. Then there was a civil war in Finland before it finally elected its first president in 1919, Carlo Stolberg. Finland then became one of the first countries in Europe to aim for full equality for women. In 1920, Finland signed a border treaty with Russia, which at that point was embroiled in its own civil war. The terms of this uh, treaty granted Pechenga or Petsamo on the Barents Sea to Finland. And you can see that in Map 1 on the website and in the show notes. In the late 1930s, the USSR started to put a lot of pressure on Finland demanding movement of its military forces through Finnish territory at will, and also the use of Finnish ports on the Gulf of Finland. At the same time, Germany was looking for closer military ties and transit rights for their forces. Then, on November 30, 1939, less than two months after the partition of Poland between Nazi Germany and Communist Soviet Union, the USSR invaded Finland in the Winter War. A bonus episode is coming on the Winter War for supporters through Patreon. Now, the Winter War is fascinating because, at first, the Finns soundly defeated the Soviet Union, even though they were a fraction of the size in terms of numbers of men in the military and in terms of weapons, in terms of how advanced those weapons were. Still, after getting soundly kicked back for months, the Soviets gathered their forces, got their stuff together, and moved forward. They captured the city of Vipuri, and now it's called Viborg, on the Karelian Isthmus, in January 1940. By March 1940, the war was over. Finland had to give up 9% of its total area, including the western shore of Lake Ladoga, Karelia, the Arctic coast at Petsamo, the Sala region of eastern Lapland, and several points and islands along the uh, Gulf of Finland, including significantly the peninsula of Hango or Hanko, which is at the very uh, western end of the Gulf of Finland, sort of guarding it uh, at the entrance from the uh, Baltic Sea. And the Soviets leased, uh, occupied, uh, leased it, uh, for 25 years, and use it as a naval base. The experience of the Winter War 
affirmed the Germans' desire to have Finland as an ally because they saw how formidable an enemy they could be. Quote, Though ultimately defeated, the Finns inflicted approximately 363,000 Soviet casualties at a cost of 70,000 Finnish soldiers wounded and killed in action. And they destroyed 3,543 Red Army tanks, despite deploying only 32 Vickers, 6-ton Mark E light tanks, and Renault FT light tanks. End quote. From Charles River Editor's book, Operation Silver Fox. Another reason to desire Finland as an ally, once it had occupied Denmark and Norway and Sweden was officially neutral, having Finland on Germany's side would create a Baltic shield for the country against invasion from the north. And so, in August 1940, Hitler responded to threats of Soviet invasion again in Finland by sending uh, two mountain divisions as well as Luftwaffe units to the extreme northeastern tip of Norway, where it has a little border with the USSR. So to look at uh, the situation in 1941 from Finland's perspective, its position was similar to Poland's two years earlier. It's got powerful, aggressive countries on both sides who both want their territory or access to it and they don't have much prospect of help coming from farther west. Here's another factor. Petsamo Pachenga, the little tiny port on the far northern edge of Finland, or now Russia. There were nickel mines there, and that's significant, because militaries need nickel for, to make war. It allows them to make stronger and lighter armor plate for tanks and other equipment, as well with nickel, you can make non-corroding alloys for electrical components. Now, the Western Allies got their nickel from Sudbury in Canada. Yay, Sudbury! But for the Germans, their most reliable and closest source would be Petsamo, Finland. So, Finland became key in the Nazis' plans for the invasion of the USSR. And while the Soviets were definitely caught off guard on June 21st, 1941, and much of their air force, or their air force that was stationed in the West, was destroyed on the ground, not to mention the thousands killed and the confusion among the Red Army in those first few days, they did respond. They fought back hard. One of the weirdest things is that the Red Air Force sent seven bombers to strike targets in Finland on June 22nd. Now, 1,400 kilometers to the north, concurrent with Operation Barbarossa, the first phase of Operation Silver Fox began, Operation Reindeer. The Army of Norway, the German, not Norwegian force, crossed the border and took Petsamo. Commanded by Lieutenant General Edward Tietel, the 2nd and 3rd Gebirgsjäger Divisions, in total 27,500 men, met no resistance as they seized Petsamo's nickel mines and the small ice-free port of Linakamari on the Barents Sea. They would keep control of these mines until the end of 1944. Three days later, on June 25th, 
the Red Air Force launched a major air raid against Finland. 460 aircraft in all, bombers and fighters, hitting Helsinki and other cities. This gave the Finnish government justification for declaring a defensive war. 500,000 Finns out of a total population of 4 million, one in eight people, mustered for operations. The Finns called this the Continuation War because it began only 16 months after the end of the Winter War. Now, as I promised, let's have a quick survey of what else is going on in the wider world and the World War at this point. The most intensive part of the Battle of Britain had supposedly ended by May 1941, but there was still fighting in the skies and under the water around the islands. In the Atlantic, German U-boats were sinking millions of tons of commercial as well as military shipping. The Mediterranean became a major theater of operations for all sides. Uh, the Germans had taken Yugoslavia and Greece just before they launched Barbarossa. By the summer of 1941, the island of Malta, key to British supply lines to Africa and the Suez, was well on its way to becoming the most bombed island of the war. Air raids hit it sometimes twice a day. In the Middle East, on June 8th, Australian, British, Free French, and Indian British Empire forces invaded Syria and Lebanon, which was then under the control of Vichy France, a collaborator with Nazi Germany. Four days later, the Australians defeated the Vichy French at the Battle of Jezine and advanced on Beirut. Fighting continued in Syria. Meanwhile, pressure is growing on the United States to get directly involved. President Roosevelt has already started the Lend-Lease Program, a way to supply Britain with materiel and supplies without violating the very laws Congress had passed specifically to keep the U.S. out of a European war. There are a number of incidents, too, at this point, where U.S. naval and commercial ships get attacked by German U-boats. On June 16th, less than a week before Operation Barbarossa launched, the U.S. See or closed all the consulates and embassies of Germany and Italy in it, all its territories and expelled all the staff. In the Pacific and in Asia, the Empire of Japan was expanding, leading to increased tension with the United States. So that's a very quick, high-level view, as they say, of the broader world war. So now let's go back to Finland. With their success in Operation Reindeer, that name just kills me, Operation Reindeer, the mountain divisions turned their attention to the next step in Operation Silver Fox. This was called Operation Platinum Fox. Objective, Murmansk, Russia. Why Murmansk? Time for the Wayback Machine again. Destination, 1915. <laughs> The Imperial Russian government builds a railroad from St. Petersburg to the Merman coast, straight to the north, on the Barents Sea, because it's ice-free year-round. In 1916, the terminus becomes the new town of Murmansk. Let's take a look at Russia's geography. 
Getting to the open ocean from St. Petersburg or parts on the Black Sea requires passage through narrow straits controlled by other countries. In 1915, Germany could blockade the Baltic around Denmark. And in the south, the Ottoman Empire, Germany's ally at this point, controls the Bosporus and the Dardanelles Straits. So the only ocean port in the west, that's straight onto the ocean, Archangelsk on the White Sea, freezes over in winter. So that rail link to the new city of Murmansk became a lifeline, allowing Western allies to send Imperial Russia vital supplies, including ammunition. And the Germans in 1941 knew this process would be repeated, and they were right. By the end of the war, Murmansk and Arkhangelsk received nearly 4 million tons of goods from Western allies, including food, fuel, raw materials, ammunition, vehicles, even tanks and planes. Convoys came and went twice a month, causing major impacts on German and Allied strategic decisions. For example, the Germans de deployed their battleship Tirpitz, along with its destroyer escorts, to the North Norwegian coast between 1942 and 1944, until it was sunk by the Royal Air Force. But I'm getting ahead of myself again. Now, Murmansk is only 100 kilometers or 60 miles from the Finnish border, presenting a tantalizingly close target, close relative to other distances in the USSR campaign. And Murmansk was a point on a lifeline to the USSR. 25% of all Lend-Lease aid for the USSR came through Murmansk in the Second World War, which meant that the Germans had to cut it off. It didn't necessarily have to capture or destroy the city. All they had to do was sever the rail link to Leningrad. The USSR then, as Russia is today, dependent on rail to move its armed forces and supplies. So, cut off the rail link, defeat the Russians. With Petsamo in their hands, the 2nd and 3rd Mountain Divisions were joined by the Finnish Ivalo Border Guard Battalion, and their aim was to capture Murmansk and cut the rail link. The plan was for the 2nd Division to move east along the coast of the Arctic Ocean to Polyarni, which is a town on the deep Kola Bay, the inlet on which Murmansk lies farther south. You can see that on both maps 1 and 2. Meanwhile, the 3rd Division would advance farther inland, or south, 56 miles or nearly 90 kilometers toward Murmansk, the overall objective of the whole Operation Silver Fox. Let's just say, though, that the second part, Operation Platinum Fox, did not go as well or as smoothly as Operation Reindeer had. So there they are, the Gebirdsjägers uh, were waiting on the border, waiting for the Finnish forces to arrive and deploy, which took a week because Finland didn't want to move its forces and provoke the USSR until after July, or sorry, June 25th, after that big Soviet bombardment and air raid, which enabled them to declare war. This delay, though, gave the Red Army in the area, the defenders, time to prepare. So, on June 29th, this is one day 
by the way, after the Germans encircled 300,000 Red Army troops near Minsk and Bialystok in Belarus. On that, the next day, General Dietl gets the go-ahead, the code word from headquarters, Silver Fox, and the mountain divisions moved out. But it doesn't seem like they were prepared for what they found on the Arctic coast. General Dietl wrote, quote, The landscape up here is just as it was after the creation. There is not a tree, not a shrub, not a human settlement, no roads and no paths, nothing but rock and scree. There are countless torrents, lakes, and fast-flowing rivers with rapids and waterfalls, end quote. German reports also wrote about 2,000-foot-tall ridges with swampy valleys in between. Another factor, this far north of the Arctic Circle meant that July was the season of the midnight sun. In Pitsamo, on June 29, 1941, the sun rose over thick fog, which obscured the advancing Germans, hid them from the Soviet defenders' eyes. So, the 1st Battalion of the 137th Regiment of the 2nd Mountain Division attempted a flanking maneuver, going around the bunkers at the border. Then at 4.30 a.m., nice bright sunny day, the fog suddenly lifted, exposing the Germans. The Soviets opened fire. The Germans charged ahead into the fire, fighting at close range with guns and bayonets. Meanwhile, the main attack... Uh, conducted by most of the 137th Regiment, retained the cover of fog. They went straight ahead, blasting through the barbed wire, and with covering fire from their 88mm flak guns, charged up the hills using grenades and flamethrowers to drive the Soviet Union, uh, the Red Army, from its bunkers. But the Soviets preferred to fight to the death rather than surrender to the Nazis. Eventually, that 1st Battalion, their flanking maneuver, reached the Titovka River and found a bridge intact and crossed it as the Soviets fell back. By noon on June 30th, the next day, the Germans had taken the eastern bank of the Titovka River. Meanwhile, another regiment of the uh, 2nd Division, the 136th, moved to the Ribachi, or Fisherman's Peninsula, the northernmost part of continental European Russia. There, they encountered dug-in Red Army infantry and heavy artillery, who opened fire at the narrow neck where the peninsula joins the mainland. Also, the Soviet northern fleet landed marines that the Germans called striped death because of their blue and white striped shirts. Unable to advance, the Germans shifted gears and set up defensive lines across that linking isthmus to contain the Soviet defenders. And this led to this weird division of a front line across this little peninsula for the duration of the war. Farther south, the 3rd Mountain Division was moving toward Murmansk. At first, they made good progress because of a strong Luftwaffe air support. The Stukas would pounce first, dropping bombs on targets. And then as the ground forces moved ahead, they kept stumbling over dead Red Army soldiers. However, once they crossed the Tukovar River, this is again further south from uh, the 2nd Division, uh, 
They ran into another problem. Their maps were all wrong. The markings they had thought were roads on Finnish maps turned out to be telephone lines. So instead of driving their tanks and hauling the horses along roads, they're pushing through swamps. General Detail ordered the 3rd Division to fall back to the Tokova River and regroup. Which took about another week. So on July 6th, the two divisions, the 2nd and 3rd, moved together, uh, penetrating about 20 kilometers or 14 miles farther east on the one highway in this area and reached another bridge over a river called the Litsa. Uh, but they were slowed down by heavy Soviet artillery fire. So Dietl again divided his forces. The 2nd Division attacked north of the Litsa Bridge and the 3rd attacked to the south. They all crossed the river in inflatable boats against heavy fire and suffered heavy casualties. It took all day to get three battalions, one regiment, across the river to hold a bridgehead. The Soviet Northern Fleet again played a role, bringing in two fresh Red Army battalions. Again, Dietl had to fall back to the western bank of the river, and he sent a message to headquarters requesting a full division of reinforcements. Instead of a division, he got one Finnish regiment. So here we have the second division fighting for a week and getting 20 kilometers ahead. Not like the advances that the Red, uh, sorry, the Germans were experiencing on the main battlefronts in Poland, Lithuania, Belarus, and Ukraine. Meanwhile, a simultaneous operation was coming at the third phase of Operation Silver Fox, called Operation Arctic Fox. That will have to be the next episode. For now, it's time to pause until next week and we continue the story of Operation Silver Fox and the war from Finland. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Barbarossa, the podcast about the Eastern Front of the Second World War. For a better understanding of the progress of the war, please see the maps and photos on the website beyondbarbarossa.ca and in the show notes. You can also listen to the episode on my own website, writtenword.ca, and click on the podcast button in the banner, or on any major podcast app. Thanks to all who have supported the podcast through Patreon. Your financial support goes to better audio equipment, research, and support for charities that help Ukrainian refugees. Also, I'm happy to say that the bonus episode on the invasion of Poland is now available to Patreon supporters. If you like this episode, or any of the others, consider following Beyond Barbarossa on your preferred podcasting app. And I'd really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or whatever you listen to. It really helps spread the word to others who are interested in history. If you find I've made any errors, please let me know. Or if you have any comments or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me by email at contact at beyondbarbarossa.ca or through the Facebook Beyond Barbarossa page. 
You can also find me, Scott Burry, author, on the web, on social media as well. Original music was composed and recorded by Nicholas Burry. I'm Scott Burry. Until next time, keep your paddles in the water. Slava Ukraina. <laughs>